Då lyssnar du till en podcast ifrån Damaris Norge. Har du lust att stötta arbetet till Damaris som för exempel den här podcasten här, då kan du gå in på damaris.no så finner du information om hur du kan stötta oss där. Här är er dagens podcast. It's a pleasure to welcome my friend and colleague Peter S. Williams to this podcast about Theophilos and the, new, the launch of Theophilos as a open access journal. Welcome to the podcast, Pete. How are you doing today? I'm very good, Lars. Thank you very much. Great to join you. And uh, uh, you've just actually submitted a manuscript of a new book to a publisher. Tell us about that. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, a book called Apologetics in 3D. Uh, and it's built around a series of essays on a holistic approach to apologetics that were published in Theophilus, indeed, uh, over various years. And I've collected them together and uh, together with some other material. Uh, and uh, Whip and Stock Publishers in the United States are doing that as my next book. Well, congratulations on that, Pete. We look forward to seeing it emerging. And uh, it's also very satisfying to, as you mentioned, so the, the sort of the basic content is actually, uh, uh, I think, four essays mm-hmm. from, from Theophilus, which has now, you know, shows your your de- the development, as you put it, of your thinking in this area. So we look forward to that. But our topic today is actually on the first open access issue of Theophilos. And, uh, well, you have had the privilege of not being involved in the administrative details, Pete, about getting the getting Theophilos open access. That has been my privilege to be involved in that, which is uh, has been a, 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 learn, a journey of learning, I think, and of exploration. But I think we are, we are getting there and we have covered quite a lot of ground. But what's the back, what was the background for the first open access issue, which was a theme issue? Could you tell us about that? Sure. Well, um, back in uh, 2018, if we cast our minds uh, back to pre-pandemic times, uh, we had the inaugural Veritas Symposium uh, at Gimlacollin uh, on the theme of science and natural theology. Uh, and we gathered together for, for a day of uh, live uh, presentations and uh, Q&A and uh, uh, colleagues gathering together to discuss these issues uh, over uh, coffee rather than the traditional Greek wine for, for a symposium. That's um, right, because the word symposium means uh, drinking together, doesn't it? Yeah. So and in, in our context, coffee. people can be very safe. Every listener can be very safe. It was very... Uh, safe conditions in here in Christian Sand. As you know, we have uh, a safe tradition, to put it that way. Yes. Uh, so we, we enjoyed that. And then uh, those presentations uh, were worked up into papers, which were submitted to go through the, the, the usual peer review uh, process uh, to make this uh, the core of this special themed edition. So we had out of that uh, developed the uh, the peer reviewed paper section of this themed issue uh, and then we were also able to to gather together in the uh, what we call the forum section uh, and uh, various other uh, sections of the journal uh, other relevant material uh, from a, a host of uh, stellar uh, contributors uh, as well so we have uh, material from um, um, Oxford uh, mathematician and philosopher John Lennox, 
uh, we have material uh, from uh, yourself and a colleague uh, Bjorn as well uh, writing in there. Um, myself, um, but we also have a, a contribution from uh, uh, Collins, uh, John Collins, who's an uh, Old Testament uh, uh, scholar expert, uh, also writing uh, in this area, uh, quite well known for um, writing in this area on Genesis. So we've got a, an interesting variety uh, of presentations on, on different topics, which which actually, when we, we came to making the publication, seemed naturally to fall into sort of three three general areas of, of issue, uh, which we then um, structured the, the journal issue around. So before moving into that, uh, the three issues, which I think were helpfully uh, uh, identified by you at some point, uh, uh, let me just mention that you were the guest editor, so your role was as... Uh, as uh, you know, the primary uh, editorial uh, role for, you had the primary editorial role for all manuscripts, reading it not just once, but, but twice or three times. Yes, yeah. <laughs> as it is, as it, the process is, people would know who have been involved in, in those kind of processes. Uh, and, and also you contributed yourself uh, actually four different pieces here. Uh, one peer-reviewed, one introductory overview, and then uh, I think two very interesting and very accessible pieces, uh, which was on the um, sort of an introduction to the whole discussion about science, natural theology, and Christian apologetics, and then uh, uh, a collection of resources, uh, which was, as it's called, annotated, which means it's given a, a brief... Uh, two, three, four lines of introduction. Mm. But Pete, uh, before moving into the, the three areas here, uh, why is this topic, which we, we called it science, natural theology, and Christian apologetics, why is this whole area uh, significant and relevant today? Of course, it's an area that has a, a long tradition in Christian thinking, but I think it's particularly relevant today uh, because we live in, in an age when uh, the sciences have uh, made great advances and have great uh, cultural significance uh, in shaping people's thinking. Uh, and scientists are often... Um, used by the media to comment on all sorts of topics uh, outside of their expertise in science. Uh, some people sort of view scientists as, as the, the new priesthood of our culture uh, in some sense. And then as a recognised priesthood, I would say, you know, by, by, the, by the media, for example. Yes. Right. And Whereas the traditional priesthood is it not, it not necessarily recognised. No, no. So it, it, a lot of people have, have got the view that, that science uh, is the way that we know things about the world. Science is a knowledge tradition and, and a lot of people conversely do not view um, Christianity as a knowledge tradition, which is the way Christianity has, has uh, paradigmatically always seen itself. Um, and, and so you get tensions and issues uh, arising out of those uh, contrasting views of uh, mm. the import of both science and religion and how they 
relate or fail to relate to one another. So actually, that's the first word, science. And, uh, yeah. you know, for all our listeners who maybe would not know uh, that Pete's speciality is philosophy. So so Pete is very good at helping us to understand the meaning of, of terms and terminology. Uh, and, you know, the... We often take it for granted, but it's always helpful to see what is what what is in a word, uh, as it was said. Uh, but then the second part of that title, natural theology, you know, science, natural theology, Christian apologetics. What do we mean when we use the expression natural theology? Right. Well, let me take just one step back to, to lead up into this, because um Traditionally, uh, a, a science or a scientia, as it was in the Latin, simply meant uh, a field of knowledge. So anything that you studied at, at uh, a, a university in, in terms of, of getting knowledge of the world uh, and how it works uh, was a, 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 a scientia. Uh, so theology was seen um, famously in medieval times as the, the queen of the sciences, it was held to be a, a, an area of knowledge. And part of uh, structuring a university, a, 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 a sort of global view of understanding reality uh, as a whole, as a, as a university, um, under the theology, part of that was what would, would have been called natural philosophy, philosophizing, trying to understand about nature, um, now, uh, in the last sort of uh, 200 years, natural philosophers uh, sort of budded off into being called uh, scientists and having their own uh, sort of struggles about uh, being a, a guild and academic freedom from the church and, and so on. There's all sorts of uh, historical developments there. Uh, indeed, the, the name science was, was coined uh, by a, a British vicar. Uh, to, to describe the field. Um, and so uh, natural philosophy became science. And um, then this whole development of, of thinking the way that many people now do, that, that only science is a way of knowing things, that we, we only know what, things through science, uh, and therefore a sort of denigration uh, of uh, other ways of knowing, uh, including theological or philosophical ways of, of knowing has come to to dominate a lot of our culture so so what you are helping us to to see here is, is to see here is that there is a strong historical precedent there is a historical framework here of 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 actually seeing the, uh, the all knowledge as a as a unified body we may not understand what we are exploring with that premise or perspective and then of course if I if I then get you correctly here, uh, the natural theology then is is actually asking: Can we learn anything about God? Theos, theology about uh, God is God revealing Himself in any way through nature? So without the help of special revelation, uh, right. one is looking at natural revelation and asking: Is there a way of of, of identifying theological knowledge, at least rudimentary, elementary, you know, in, in a skeleton form almost. Would you, would you be, be comfortable with such an expression or such an approach? 
yeah, I mean, people would, would call it um, the distinction between general revelation or special revelation um, sometimes. Um, but actually, and in, interestingly, recent development within the field of so-called natural theology of, of trying to look at uh, what the na what natural philosophy or the sciences can can do to help us uh, in piecing together our knowledge of God um, is so-called um, ramified natural theology, which is something I talk about in my introductory essay, where uh, classically uh, philosophers and uh, apologists used to argue about we can we can argue about establishing a belief in a God. And then we move on to so-called Christian evidences to, to specify more what kind of God by looking at, at special revelation. But special revelation is something we, we can argue about as well and look at, say, you know, the, the historical arguments for the, the resurrection of Jesus. Right. So, so in a way, this works both as a context then for you know, natural theology or, or general revelation as a context for special revelation. So God's revelation in nature as a context for God's revelation in history and supremely in, in Jesus Christ, right. but also as a continuity there. So it's not a it's not a, a a break in the knowledge. It's actually is that is that the the, the correct understanding of that? Yeah. So um, a sort of hardline classical apologetical approach would say first we establish through natural theology. That it's reasonable to believe in some kind of a creator God who could work miracles as a background to then approaching Christian evidences, say, um, the historical evidences for the resurrection or the, the lunatic liar Lord argument uh, about the character of Christ or, or what have you fulfilled biblical Old Testament prophecies in the life of Jesus. Um, but ramified natural theology says well, actually, if you have arguments for a miracle happening, those are, by that token, also an argument that there is a God capable of working miracles, right? Uh, so there's not a hard and fast line break there. You may be more open to those um, special revelation arguments, if you like, uh, if you approach with some kind of belief in, in a God in hand, but those arguments are also in themselves evidence for a God, uh, as well as specifying the more particular nature of that God. So um, that is, that which you've just you know given us a snapshot of it is actually where the a lot of the discussion, if I understand it correctly, is moving in terms of of of. So natural theology becomes a, a wider concept and yeah. also close, more closely tied to, to a special revelation uh, yeah. in the sense of that, that if one could in, include that in the whole. But, but this is, we could go on for the whole episode here to talk about this, this is, but this gives us a helpful background, I think. And before taking a deep breath and diving into the, academic contributions here. Uh, uh, we actually talked between the two of us, uh, uh, you know, and asked what would be a, a good, where would be a good way to start? And mm -hmm. I think we, we found out if someone is interested in this area, but felt that the, the peer review, the academia section is a bit too heavy to start with, where would you recommend people would start in our, this supplement issue? 
Right, so you, we need to go to the what we call the forum uh, section. <laughs> and I, I would uh, start with John Lennox's uh, article. Uh, we've got a really nice uh, introductory article from, from John. He, he has a very uh, conversational uh, style, but really knows his stuff. I know his and if we may add there, he was... He and, and uh, the film producer Ian Morris, they were present at yes. the, the inaugural, at the first uh, symposium, which where these papers were presented in their in their uh, uh, first edition or first version. Yeah. Uh, and and he was very affirmative of our endeavor, and we were very pleased that he uh, were able to because this was in connection with the Veritas conference, of course, and. Mm. And he, he being a keynote speaker in 2018. So that's a nice uh, connection there. Uh, and I think also your introductory article, Pete, is, is, is very helpful in, in getting the overview. You know, we have touched on some of the issues there already. And, and uh, I think also Jack Collins, we were very, very pleased when we were, were able to allow to permit it to, to republish a very nice essay by Jack Collins. Uh, who has a science background as well, which will be added in addition to his Old Testament uh, primary competence. And, and he talks about how we may need help from uh, C.S. Lewis and Francis Schaeffer, no less than the two giants there, uh, in order to understand this whole area, uh, and especially Genesis 1. Yeah. So there is uh, actually quite a lot of, of uh, engaging uh, writing there. Uh, and and uh, that is, we were pleased that we were able to present that alongside the other stuff. So if we then move to and take a deep breath, Pete, and and dive into the academia, the peer reviewed section, and if we just briefly uh, comment on 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 the first area of the theme that that emerged here, what was that? Uh, so that was uh, what I've called issues in Genesis, and I'll, I'll particularly a, a lot of the, so the book of Genesis. Then the, yes. the book of Genesis, yeah, yeah. Uh, in the Bible. So this re relates to questions of how we integrate our uh, theological uh, models of of um, particularly looking at the the early chapters of the, of origins uh, in Genesis, and we construct different theological models of. Um, how God created uh, and what happened in the creation, as we call it. Uh, but we're trying to integrate those models with our scientific uh, understandings and, and models of what happened in the past of, of our origins. And of course, uh, put those together into a, a, a synoptic, a, a one view uh, of 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 our origins. Hmm. Uh, so in a way, it's, it's it's like a jigsaw puzzle, is it? Where one need to try to find the different pieces, how they fit together, and how they they um, how they those different bits of the jigsaw sort of influence our, our un overall understanding of what picture we're we're constructing. That's right. <laughs> so, so in a way, it depends on our preconceived idea about the picture. How we how we put this together? One my my oldest. yeah, and, and how how we approach it. So we we, we get into uh, what we might call a sort of hermeneutical spiral, a sort of a, 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 an iterative process of 
questioning our, our assumptions and our readings, uh, neither our reading of what scripture says, nor our reading of what, uh, you know, the, the, the book of nature says are infallible. You know, uh, the world is a certain way. Scripture does say a certain thing as the word of God, but our readings of both are fallible and our, our attempts to put both together uh, in a consistent fashion are also, of course, fallible. So there's lots of different issues to d discuss amongst ourselves of how we do that. And in that section, the, the two first essays then are papers or essays uh, peer-reviewed are, are by a, a Danish colleague and a Norwegian colleague. Mm. And uh, just briefly, uh, we would love to, you know, to spend time on each of those contributions, of course, but here is a, this is an introductory overview to, to, to the material. So Jens Brun Kofut. Uh, so neither you and I can pronounce the Danish name quite, <laughs> quite uh, but Jens is a very able Old Testament scholar and, and has be actually also been part of the Genesis project in, in, uh, at Trinity, uh, Henry, Henry Center there, Carl Henry Center there. So, so what is, what is Jens uh, presenting in his essay? So the, the core of his paper was looking at um, what Galileo uh, uh, who is uh, a figure who's uh, at the, the centre of, of um, an oft-misportrayed uh, incident in the, the history of the relationship between uh, science and theology, but looking at, look, looking at Galileo's principles for uh, interpreting uh, scripture uh, and integrating it with the world and, and applying those uh, to our modern situation of reading scripture and our scientific understanding of the past uh, to uh, use those hermeneutical principles from Galileo uh, as a way of, of shaping uh, our modern discussion. So that's interesting. Yes, and I think he, he talks also, uh, you know, uh, following on from that, he talks about the need for create context or uh, was it sandboxes for sandboxes, yeah. yes for 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 trying out different models and not starting by attacking one another within the christian whether it's the academic context or the church context we need humility in yeah. approaching one another so i think that's a, also from that perspective a a um, an appropriate start and i think we it it's self evident but maybe needs to be said that in each issue of Theophilos, each contribution is uh, the responsibility of, of, of the author, of course. So, yeah. so as a guest editor or, or as chief editor myself, I am <laughs> not to be held responsible or to take the honor for, for any. Uh, that's how it works in, in the academic world, of course, so just to, to clarify that. So if we move on to Gunnar Innerdal, uh, a Norwegian... Um, somewhat younger, but uh, really already quite experienced uh, in, in has a number of publications to his name. Uh, and and uh, what is what is his primary aim in his his essay? Yeah, well, he's looking at uh, the origin of sin uh, in dialogue with natural science. That's his title. And he's uh, presenting various different models that people have put forward. Uh, for that area and giving his uh, critique and, and take on which model he thinks is most 
most plausible uh, and fruitful to look at. Uh, and again, I think whether the reader uh, ends up agreeing with the model that uh, he puts forward or, or not, it works as uh, a good uh, sort of summary of a number of different positions and may indeed spark you to, to think of, of other sort of intermediate uh, positions um, may, be, may be possible. Uh, and to think through the, the range uh, of ways that people have, have looked at, at this area. Uh, and, and again, in, in taking that sort of sandbox approach, um, saying, you know, perhaps we, we need to, to think through more about the possible ways of thinking about these things uh, before we get too, too set upon uh, a particular traditional uh, interpretation. Um, because that might may blind us to uh, the range of ways in which uh, integration uh, or view, a viewpoint upon those issues may may be possible. And I think, isn't it fair to say, Pete, that one of the intentions of this special issue and of any issue of Theophilus, of course, is to open up right. for further reflection, open up for further explorations and I don't think we ever will get the definitive answers, but yeah. I think we get very uh, articulate mm. proposals here from, in, in the first place, from Jens and from Gunnar, Jens Brunkunfurt and Gunnar Inderdal. So if we then move on to the second whole area, we've already introduced that natural theology. Uh, then we have three very different but highly fascinating contributions. Mm. One is by Knut Willi Säter from uh, partly Volda University, uh, and he has especially been working with with the whole area of beauty and the whole area of of uh, as well as uh, of of I think in, interacting with with the British scientist turned theologian John Polkinghorne, who recently uh, yeah. passed away. Just uh, I think some a few weeks ago, wasn't it? Yeah, earlier this year. Yeah, earlier this, this year, year, yes. This year, yeah. or just the end of last year. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe the end of last year. Yes. So, so what is Knut Willis Setter's uh, uh, approach here? So uh, he's looking at what's called a re revised natural theology, uh, and I think this this goes back to the sort of uh, latter part of the twentieth century, where the the focus in uh, some people's thinking turned less from particular uh, things within nature and how one might argue to God from those particular things to looking at the very process of science itself in particular and saying, um, how come we live in a world that is so um, conducive to doing science or how come human beings have this ability to do science to, to understand the deep structure of the world through mathematical descriptions that we uh, make up in, in, in our minds and then find sort of map onto reality. You know, um, how come uh, creatures, uh, you know, if you take the view that we're supposed to be creatures, you know, who evolved to survive on the savannas of Africa, uh, how can we come equipped with the, the possibility of understanding the inner workings of the mathematics of quantum mechanics? You know, what's that about? Kind of. Um, so this sort of taking a step back from particular results of science and, uh, and looking at the, hey, we are human beings 
who do science, what is the best account of uh, the world philosophically that makes sense of that? Uh, and, and again, Pete, how it. fascinating it would have been to to continue along that route. But but then we are moving on to the next next contribution by Atle Servik, who is uh, uh, becoming a, a, a despite his relatively young age, despite becoming a a, a very a highly respected theologian, uh, also internationally in the area of philosophy of religion mm. uh, and and also apologetics. And, and he talks about how to formulate the fine-tuning argument for the existence of God. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so what is he doing there in that contribution? Uh, well, well, it's great, it's great to, to see a, 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 a theologian working within a philosophical uh, area as well. Uh, well, I'm sure this was one of the contributions you really liked, wasn't it, yeah. as a philosopher? That's, yeah. that's right. So it's good to, to see uh, someone working interdisciplinary uh, here. Uh, and uh, working on uh, how he thinks best to formulate the the, the argument from the, the so-called fine tuning of the of the universe for its fruitfulness for interesting things in it such such as uh, life. Um, this is the the sort of fundamental laws and constants of the universe, uh, which don't seem to be the way they are by any kind of necessity. They, they, they could have been different. They could have been vastly different. And the thing that surprised uh, cosmologists uh, from the sort of um, latter part of the 20th century on looking at these basic conditions of the universe uh, is that if you made only very small, minor, minor changes in those preconditions of life, um, you would get a, a fruitless universe more often than not, vastly more often than not. Uh, and, and so, um, as even you know, various atheists have, have said, it, it makes the universe look like a put-up job. Um, this is what uh, uh, has been uh, Fred Hoyle, uh, astronomer, said, you know, made it made it look like, you know, a, a super intellect has been monkeying with the laws of physics. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, but how do you... Um, go from that sort of appearance of suspiciousness about the, the basic structure of reality to actually making a, a, a really uh, tight, hard and fast argument. Uh, and how much can you get out of that argument in, in terms of uh, what, you know, what kind of super intellect uh, has been monkeying with the laws of physics and so on? So how do you best structure uh, the argument, and there, there's all sorts of different approaches that people take, and this is a, a really nice uh, paper uh, advocating a, a particular approach to, to structuring that fine-tuning uh, cosmic argument. One thing which I've observed, uh, Pete, uh, from from a number of contributions from various perspectives in this whole area is that it seems as as if the the further up we move in the data material in the material in the mm. observation the more of a unity there is that there is some kind of fine-tuning mechanisms that we can observe but the further mm. down we go in a way then there are different opinions as to whether one can detect uh, uh, let's say an intelligent Mm. Uh, uh, traces of intelligence or whether it's actually we have to move to the whole picture to do right. that. 
Yeah. And that brings us actually to the, to the <coughs> next contribution by, by Steinar Thorvaldsen, who is a pioneer in the Norwegian context, professor of information science up in the very north of Norway, the Arctic University. And, and he has, uh, in, you know, he has a, a series of contributions where he, he explores the whole, the whole contested area, I think it's fair to say, of what is called intelligent design. And here he relates intelligent design conceptually to natural theology. So how should we approach this fascinating article? Yeah, so um, Sino both shows the the overlap, if you like, between um, intelligent design thinking, uh, natural theology, and that kind of cosmological uh, fine-tuning argument. Uh, uh, one could approach that fine-tuning argument as, as a subsection of intelligent design. Uh, but intelligent design... Uh, as it puts itself forward as a, a scientific theory, would be an argument for saying that intelligence has been involved, but would draw the line at, at saying, but you, you can't tell directly from scientific data uh, very much about that intelligence. It would uh, agree with, um, I mean, David Hume talking about the, the, the design argument uh, back in the day would, would, would say a very similar thing. Um, but then intelligent design would also put forward that there are um, indications, reliable indications of design at a biological level as well as a, a cosmic level. Hmm. Um, and that's where, where the, the arguments meet one another, isn't it? And, and there is a, 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 an enormous com discussion going on in, from so many perspectives. And I think it's, we are very... Uh, uh, I think we are privileged that we have people representing different uh, approaches and perspectives within this theme issue. So yeah. people get a very fair overall picture mm. of, of the whole discussion. I think in that sense, also Steinar's contribution, Steinar Thorvaldsen's contribution is, is significant in introducing the concept of intelligent design into the whole uh, overall conversation there. Uh, and then we are uh, have the last, the third thematic area uh, where you have contributed the first uh, essay and, and Margaret Seriksdadal and Ingvild Tukru, the second one, interacting with, with issues in contemporary culture. And it's fascinating that, that the whole area of, of, of science and uh, philosophy and uh, theology actually appears in various ways in, 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 uh, in contemporary culture. So how do these two uh, articles uh, complement or supplement one another? Well, uh, uh, Morgan and uh, Ingvild uh, have a, a paper called uh, Unraveling the Mystery, uh, Assessing the Big Bang Theory as a, a secular fictional universe. But the Big Bang Theory here is a, a riff on the, the, the scientific Big Bang Theory. It's a name of an American uh, sitcom. Highly, uh, highly popular, of course. Yes. Yeah. Uh, very long-running uh, American sitcom uh, about, about a bunch of uh, university science students and their friends, uh, uh, to, to put it shortly. But the, the Big Bang Theory um, 
puts across uh, through its humor, through its theme, very famous theme song even, uh, views about science, uh, about religion, about particularly about how we uh, know things about the world, back to what we were talking about earlier about, you know, is science the only way to know things or are there other ways of knowing other parts of, of reality? Um, and so they're looking at the, the, the messages that audiences get through just watching a sitcom, but that sitcom does communicate messages and shape people's thinking about uh, various scientific and religious I issues. And that's where they introduce, you know, a, a methodology based on, on, on worldview analysis and yeah. also a point to the need for cultural apologetics. Uh, in a, so so we, we recommend that essay as well. And then uh, the final word to your own essay, <laughs> uh, exploring ancient aliens. Wow, that's, uh, that's quite something, Pete. Yeah, so this is a sort of modern conspiracy theory, uh, but very popular on uh, so-called sort of uh, documentary channels on television that air programs like uh, Ancient Aliens or, you know, UFO programs. And of course, we, we live in an age, uh, indeed, since the sort of 1950s, where we've had the rise of various uh, UFO religions and religious movements that centred themselves around the idea of ancient uh, aliens um, uh, think e even to um, uh, American uh, religious views um, that uh, see uh, human beings uh, as uh, uh, influenced by the, the souls of dead ancient aliens and uh, or views that you see in, in some sort of popular uh, newspaper articles that, that I look at uh, in this that, that talk about views like, you know, were there UFOs at the resurrection, at the crucifixion of, of Jesus? And, and look at uh, the symbolism of medieval paintings taken out of context and in, interpret them as uh, depicting UFOs. And there's some sort of conspiracy about, you know, you can sort of uh, reinterpret traditional religious historical views uh, in categories about ancient aliens or think of, you know, von, von Dijkenen's uh, views about uh, the earth being visited by aliens in our ancient history who have shaped humanity's history. Uh, and so we have these alternative, alternative views of history, in particular human religious history, that involve uh, Earth being visited by extraterrestrial intelligences. And what I wanted to do in this paper was to uh, counter those conspiracy theories uh, purely on a secular scientific basis. Uh, so not saying, well, those views contradict a Christian understanding of religious history therefore I reject them you know that that would be one route to go but on an on an independent basis of purely of secular scientific information which I review about the search for extraterrestrial intelligence uh, about what we know about the difficulties of space travel and so on to say that these ancient alien theories are um, very uh, convoluted and inherently ad hoc, uh, but also are um, undermined or, or um, uh, disconfirmed by uh, secular scientific information um, 
that we're gathering through the the SETI program and our knowledge of space travel and, and the origin of life and, and and so on, various different scientific fields, and actually make it very very unlikely uh, that we have been visited by extraterrestrial intelligences either either now or in the past. So we can say that we are fairly comfortable that no extraterrestrial beings are being present in the podcast interview right now. So. So we we may continue with rather confident about that. So so Pete, uh, uh, thanks a lot for giving that series of, of 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 seven snapshots into each of these uh, highly valuable contributions. And again, we stress that starting with the forum articles is a good idea. And of course, it's all this uh, glorious content is found at uh, theophilos.no. Uh, and uh, it's worth exploring, uh, of course. But just to wrap it all up, um, if we then think about uh, uh, the way forward here, uh, you know, we encourage further reflection. We don't want to impose any perspectives on people, but we want to encourage people to open up and to explore and to see the various approaches and to judge for themselves uh, how how that fit with both the biblical theological and the scientific uh, and, and philosophical. So hopefully these papers, uh, if people read them, may, may engender them to write their own papers and send them into us to see if they, they garner publication about their, their own uh, take on these different issues. That's right. So in terms of, of, of uh, uh, maybe thinking towards a, a final word on, on practical application here, mm. what's the... What's the takeaway of all this? I think one takeaway would, would be to say that it's very much not the case that this is an area where we have science versus religion or science versus Christianity. Um, I think it would be true to say that, that various scientific results give challenges to the formulation of a naturalistic worldview, uh, as well as to the formulation of a Christian worldview or the specifics of how we formulate a Christian worldview. Um, but it does seem to me that the challenges to a sort of atheistic, naturalistic worldview that arise from, from science are more fundamental challenges to that worldview than are the challenges to Christianity that arise from science. So I think the, the challenges to Christianity that arise from science tend to be about the specifics of how we formulate different um, doctrinal models about origins, about, you know, the origin of sin or the origin of humanity or, or what have you. Um, but that science gives a big picture of the world, which fits very comfortably with a theistic understanding of the universe. Whereas actually, yes. you know, the, 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 the science gives a big picture understanding that fits conversely quite badly with uh, a naturalistic uh, understanding of humanity and of the world we, we inhabit. Uh, and thanks a lot for that, that very nice summary there. And I think that's one of the major points in, 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 in John Lennox's uh, very helpful article here. And, and, and just to round it all off from my own perspective, uh, thanks, Pete, for joining us here today. Uh, uh, and, uh, you know, Alistair McGrath, who is someone else we could have invited, uh, you know, to this conversation because he is such an uh, important voice. And he has recently expressed that 
one may look at apologetics as a task that is concerned with with three different uh, subtasks in a way and it's defending and this is an area we have explored now where there are many accusations against the christian faith and that is one one dimension of this and secondly is he talks about apologetics as commending the christian faith as true as beautiful as 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 uh, uh, good as making sense and i think we have explored that dimension and then it's the the third subtask would be or task would be to to be involved in translating the christian faith into so it's defending commending and translating i think that is a it's a, also a, a a way of summarizing how we would like people to take this forward in a more practical sense how may this help us to defend the christian faith how may this help us to commend the christian faith and how may all this helpful and interesting and stimulating and sometimes challenging material help us to translate the christian faith into context where we are in our everyday life yeah so Pete thanks a lot for joining us again and uh, we look forward to to uh, uh, new conversations with you as we move forward and uh, uh, thank you to all our listeners for joining in and uh, this was the end of our conversation thank you <laughs>